Hello out there, this is Pamela Fagan Hutchins and you've found Wine Women in Writing, or as I sometimes call it, Men Mascal and Mystery, but today I'm not sure which we're going to call it. We've got a guy writer, we've got a female character. We're just going to go with what feels good. But before we get to the good part, let me go through the things that you really need to know before you uh, share a half hour with us. The first is, is that this is the show where I like to talk with other authors about their characters, what makes them tick, um, hopefully come up with some of the great stories about things that inspired them or that lead them to write really fantastic characters. And we do it all with Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. So this is a solely owned and copyrighted production thereof. I'll help Pam Stack, the Uber producer. And we're going to do it. Yeah. Yay. Up with Pam. So whether you're listening to this uh, in podcast or whether you're catching live stream, be sure to go to my website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com, where you can see the upcoming guests and read their books ahead of time so that you're prepared to, shall we say, book club with us, if you will. And you can also catch past episodes there as well. So this morning, I have an author on, which I, I think you already see him over there, um, or at least uh, if you can't see him, you know he's there because you know my format. And he has been writing a series that got me really interested and I wanted to share with you guys whether you have had the chance to read her, his new character, his character in this book or not. And that is TJ Brereton. TJ, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Pamela. It's a pleasure to be here. I really do appreciate it. Not the least of which, because TJ's pretty much already seen the real behind the scenes, Pamela, when I arrived late and spilled my drink before we got started. And he's kept his great face through all of this. So thumbs up. <laughs> but you've got kids. So you, you kind of, you know, you probably have a few mornings for yourself. They're a bit of a rat race. Yeah. Yeah, I have three kids. I have a 16-year-old son and two daughters, one of whom is nine and the other is six. And our six-year-old, as you would expect, is the mess maker in the family. <laughs> Everything she does, everywhere she goes. I think she's hanging on to babyhood a little bit. She doesn't want to grow up because she knows what's going on when she looks at her older brother and sister and sees the responsibility. <laughs> so she's she's hanging on to, to babyhood a little bit. Man, wouldn't that be great? I'd like to hang on to babyhood a little bit longer sometime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, that's that's super. Well, I'm coming to you from the face of the Bighorn Mountains in Wyoming, where yesterday we set a oh. temperature of uh, in down in Sheridan of 108. We're all sweating. Holy moly. I hope it's nicer where you are, TJ. We had a hot wave or heat wave Um I mean, the, the weather's been kind of weird, but, uh, you know, May was really cold to start and then it got really hot. But I'm in the Adirondack Mountains. Yeah. So that's like almost to Canada, but not quite in upstate New York. Um, the famous town is Lake Placid, yeah, which is where the 1980 Winter Olympics and the 1932 Winter Olympics were. So I'm just outside of Lake Placid, about 30 minutes outside. And, and I live in the mountains and, and love it, love the quiet and the simple life. It's kind of perfect for a writer. Yeah, it really like, is. Yeah. Sounds yeah. beautiful to me. And so now within all this peace, tranquility and beauty, you write murder, mayhem and basically psychological sickness. I mean, you have some right. great um, thriller right. suspense characters. So, of course, we're here to talk about um, 
really all you're writing, but one series and one protagonist in particular. So I'd love it if you kind of set us up and tell us a little bit about Shannon Ames, her series and Sign of Evil, the third book, the one that Sure, of course. Uh, I just wanted to say one other thing about living here is that it's cheap, which is kind of key for a writer, <laughs> you know, because uh, you never know what's going to happen. Um, so Shannon Ames, yeah, the psychological stuff. Um, I've always, I guess, been drawn to crime stories in general, you know, uh, cops and robbers type stuff. My favorite movies and books as a kid were usually crime oriented. Um, I married a uh, mental health therapist. So we do a lot of, um, we enjoy discussing psychology and she's actually come up with some of the premises for, for my books. That's fantastic. My husband yeah. and I storyboard together too. So I'm immediately very fascinated that a successful relationship can yield a successful sharing of professional um, uh, areas of expertise and partnership. So that's sure. awesome. Yeah, of course, I have to be very, very careful because she, you know, so she's a supervisor. Well, she's a, the director of a clinic now, but when she was a therapist, uh, she would have, I mean, of course, she was seeing people with fascinating stories, but I could never use anything directly. She would just sort of pose hypotheticals, you know, um, what if this, what if that, and and we would, we would sort of beat those out, work those out, and if it seemed like it had legs, I, I've actually, you know, I think three or four of my books in general, I could attribute directly to collaboration conversations with my wife. That's really, really fun. And it makes me like it more. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a little selfish because I think when you, when you have, when your ideas are just completely endogenous, they're just completely your own you might doubt them a little bit more. Whereas if you're bouncing things off of somebody, that reciprocity, I think, gives you confidence right at the outset that this, if somebody else is thinking that this is a good idea, you know, it's not just on me if it flops and it's also already being improved by two minds are better than one. I agree with you. And I always wonder how writers can do it that say, no, I just dive into my idea. And, you know, months later I pop up and I've got a great book, you know, Oh, I could never. I feel the need to have that expansion of of what's in the flow by letting it out to germinate in the light and and you know be sprinkled and watered by and fed by conversations with somebody else. Outside influence. That's right. Yeah, it's really cool. And yeah. so yeah, that's tough when you know everything that um, that she learns and does, of course, comes from her real life and other real lives. But you've got to make sure that that confidentiality is kept and that there's nothing there that peeks through that someone's going to say, "Hey, that's me." And <laughs> oh no, <laughs> no way. That would yeah. be <laughs> yeah. Uh, our, our collaboration would end swiftly. Exactly. Uh, She's like, it, <laughs> it reminds me, though, that uh, Pamela, I used to. Um, my writing process in the beginning was very much seat of the pants and I would just get an idea and build confidence as I worked it out on the page. The Shannon Ames series has been developed a little bit differently because the relationship I have with the publisher incubator books mm -hmm. and the way incubator books likes to work, not exclusively, but with some of the authors that they work with is we actually figure out a lot of the plot beforehand. 
we do what's called writer's room, where we, we meet, we interface like this over Zoom and we talk through the story, um, which is great because having the plot, especially a police procedural, which is plot intensive and a lot of technical details and a lot of research, but it's allowed me kind of this space to sort of develop Shannon herself and her personal life in a way that feels more sort of liberated and freeing. I'm not, I'm not so trapped by figuring out the plot as I go. I can, I can embellish on her inner journey while I'm writing. I think that is super interesting. And were you nervous about that approach when you started? Yeah. Yeah. I think so, but yet I could see how, you know, I used to be pants or two and now uh -huh. <laughs> it seems a lot of writers have made that journey. Yeah. Like, and especially when you write plot intensive books, it's like, ah, I'm not making that mistake again. And it gets your cycle time faster, it gets your stories tighter. And, and I think about how, on the one hand, giving up any control or any like somebody's going to tell me that what I really want is a bad idea and I'm going to have to, you know, give up my give up my seed over the reins. Right. On the other hand, the idea that you've really had that rigor of forcing yourself down all the rabbit trails, you already feel secure about the footing that does give you room with your characters not to force them into situations you don't want them into, but to let them guide you through the path, you know, they find that corn maze and find their way through with you. That's very interesting. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. So with Shannon, was she an idea that you had or did you have her with the people from Incubator? Uh, the short version of the story of how Shannon came to be is that I had started to develop another uh possibly another series, but definitely another character who was a FBI agent. Um, and that didn't, for whatever reasons, the, that didn't mature, but I liked something about the character. And, and so I had, when I, when I started working with Incubator, I already had some of the bones, if you will, of the, this female FBI agent and we we did talk it out a little bit, but I think I knew already just from the mistakes that I'd made with the first sort of incarnation of Shannon was that she was a little too standoffish and a little bit too much of, uh, she had, I guess you've, you're familiar with the term core wound where a lot yeah. of your protagonists have something in their past. I mean, it's, it's as common a trope as any other in a story. Um, sometimes the core wounds are, are really tough and really terrible. And um, for whatever reason, I wanted to pull back from that a little bit. I didn't want Shannon to be a hot mess. Mm -hmm. there, there is, I think, a, becoming a bit of a stereotypical female protagonist in police procedurals who is always defying her super her supervisors and always getting into trouble and just maybe, you know, I, I've just seen some feedback from readers sort of questioning why are these characters always such a hot mess? So I thought, I'm just going to try a different direction. I have very stable, secure, intelligent women in my life. You know, my wife, my sister, my mother, I'm hoping to raise two stable, confident daughters. Why not have a character who... Um, has these uh, characteristics and has a good foundation? Albeit, she does have, like we all have, some skeletons in her closet. 
but it's not, it doesn't overwhelm the sort of flavor of the story. I tried to keep it where she's mostly together. That said, in Sign of Evil, which is the third book in the series, some of what is maybe bravado on her part, some of what is maybe acting as if and, and not being completely in touch with her problems starts to, to percolate a little bit and she starts to come off the rails. It's a very tough case. She's undercover as a sex worker on the streets of the Bronx chasing a serial killer. So pressure cooker environment, some of your trauma might start to invade your working world. Um, but yeah, she's she's solid and she has she's got integrity, she's got good morals, but she's as vulnerable as anybody else. She's not superhuman. It, it to me, what I love about what I'm hearing and what I have enjoyed about what I've read with her is um, that would be the animal hospital that I forgot to turn my oh, phone. Chatting no. earlier about I have a sick yeah. dog. Um, do you have no, to take it? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll have no. my husband do it. It's. For those that are PD fans, we're taking PD in for a CAT scan. He, he appears he's got a tumor and he's fading on us really fast. So anyway, um, the, the thing that I enjoyed when I was reading about her and I thought lent to the authenticity is that she is not, she's more like us, you know, big us, you know, women that are trying to exist in a real world. And that is, you don't really get away with complete and sometimes immature defiance of authority and be successful and uh, and keep your day job. And so when you read somebody like that, I'm always thinking, well, you know, you're the one in a million for whom that works, you know, and instead with Shannon, you're th you see these appropriate pushings of boundary, like I am pushing what the rules are because I'm doing it for the greater good. I'm doing it for the right reason, but I'm not completely disrespectful of authority in the sense that I come off like it, like a teenage girl. Right. I mean, so I loved that about Shannon and about this book. So that's really interesting. I, I hadn't considered that perspective that her, some, some characters that maybe do, uh, defy their superiors egregiously your point is how can they get away with that a woman can't get away with that yeah. and I, I hadn't even really thought about that but that makes so much sense and and you maybe i've internalized some of the women in my life to to unconsciously make shannon a little more careful about mm -hmm. how tough she is pushing back because she knows I can only get away with so much. A male counterpart might be able to fly off the handle whenever he feels like it. And we say, well, that's Charlie, but exactly. you know, she's probably aware of that. I haven't necessarily been aware of that, but Shannon probably already is. <laughs> well, I'll just speak from experience as a woman who was an executive in the refining industry and sat on a team of, you know, nine guys or eight guys and me leadership team. If, I, it was okay for me to be absolutely expected that to succeed, I needed to be strong and push back and own my space. But if you are, if you to completely a defy, then you're coming across right. uh, strident, you know, et cetera. And are these things, you know, stereotypes we like to live within? No. But on the other hand, I don't think my male counterparts could completely defy authority either. That was pugilistic or that was, well, you know, too challenging. So it's interesting 
there's an element to me that is very much about the female nature of the character and reality. And, you know, maybe if she was a millennial, I might say this a little differently because, you know, times they are changing. But I think anybody is going to have trouble being the hot mess that just defies everything and gets away with it. So I liked that that piece that she's able to intelligently navigate it with the chip on her shoulder, not being so large that it overpowers her with the wounds in her past, not being all she is or who she is, you know, that she's much, much more. Anyway, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> I'd love yeah. to chat with you and your wife sometime just about the the, the things like that and, and wounds, because I am only a pretend mental health es- expert. <laughs> my <laughs> Me too. Resources. And so <laughs> my wounds were the workplace kind. <laughs> so now, with respect to Shannon, um, this, as you said, this was a tough one. This is playing a sex worker. This is dealing with men, especially at their worst, but dealing with people at their worst. Um, what do you do next after a book like this? Or what are you doing next? Because I'm sure that you are far down the pike <laughs> with the next one. Yeah, the next one is due out July 4th. Um, oh. And it's called Nowhere to Hide. Awesome. And it, it's part of the emotional journey that Shannon experiences in the, the, the chapter in sign of evil continues into this book in that she feel she's made, she's had some epiphanies in sign of evil. And I'm just, I had the book here. That's why I keep gesturing this way. Um, she's had some epiphanies near the end of sign of evil that then carry her forward into the next book where she's driving home to sort of make amends. We're not quite sure why she's driving home and why she takes a detour. She has a straight shot that she could make up the interstate to get home, but she takes a detour. And of course, uh, trouble ensues when she encounters an ice storm and a car on the side of the road and a convenience store that looks like it's been robbed and everything tumbles out over the next 24 hours that she's essentially trapped in a small town with two vicious killers. Does she, well, I can't ask you if she makes it home, but you know, that's going to drive us the whole book. I'm immediately like, so DJ, does she make it home? I don't know. <laughs> that's just, that's evil. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's I'm okay. obligated to not know. Absolutely, absolutely. And so when you're sitting down and you guys are planning out um, Shannon's future with the incubator, how many books ahead are you chatting? Do you, does the discussion get into a whole span of her characterhood? We're very uh, in the moment, I think, uh, extemporaneous is the word maybe. <laughs> um, I know I have friends like Lisa Reagan who writes the Josie Quinn series and she I think has a 20 book deal. Uh, Angela Marsons and her uh, Kim Stone series, I, I don't even know, a hundred book deal, I don't know. Um, we're taking it as we go at Incubator. So I have in mind a long-term emotional through line for Shannon. I just kind of knew it right from the beginning where everything was going. And it's it's part of the impetus for me. It's kind of the, the reason why I'm excited about, I, I like the police procedural aspects and uh, we try to have a real high fidelity to the, the, the realism and plausibility of the cases. Um, and that's appealing, but I, I'm really, I'm interested in having Shannon's whole story told. Right. You know, so um, we haven't really articulated it. I think I just like that's something I'm just trying to kind of keep 
especially with doing everything now with the writer's room and getting all the plot out ahead of time and all this, I'd like to preserve a little bit of that. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> well, 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 and I, that's my carrot on the stick, you know. Um, I was talking with Lisa a few weeks ago on the show. Oh, wow, yeah, great. Awesome. She's awesome. Yeah, yeah she's and great. And has a Boston Terrier. So, uh, as <laughs> I would. Um, but uh, the, the, it was interesting because she said, you know, this series has gone on so long, I never even began to see where it was going. And, it, you know, when you are surprised by the success of something like that, it gets difficult. But when you see crystal clear in your own secret eye where Shannon is going, it gives you a, a leg up. Um, does she drive the stories or how? Do, what drives the plot? Do you guys sit down and think, let's rip something from the headlines or what's hot? Or do you, does Shannon somehow come into a, an impactful role with that? Um. You know, I, I, I read something. I'm very I don't read a lot of reviews and feedback. I, I Sometimes I do because I want to see if it's working and, and I'm very interested in giving readers what they enjoy and avoiding what they don't. So mm -hmm. I'm looking for that third person rule of three people tell you have a tail, you better turn around and look, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, well, now I just lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Does Shannon drive your plots or do they come from the incubation? I, uh, one, one reader was critical when her personal story was so entwined with the plot. I think the comment was something like, I see this happen when like the real personal life of the character gets really involved in the plot. And they, and they, they said, okay, I think readers are just getting more and more um, just uh, uh shrewd and 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 intuitive and learned because there's a lot of material and yeah, you know right. so it's 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 harder for us to sort of stay uh in that narrow space and 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 please them the way they should be pleased so i i think i don't know if that's exactly what you're asking but i think I, i'm trying to avoid making her personal life drive too much of the plots Instead, it is more of a rip from the headlines type of yeah. uh, inspiration um, or just something like this, this idea of her getting trapped in this small town with a couple of killers. That's you, you know this. You, you probably have a little basket in your mind with unused, untold stories, untold plots. And every once in a while you think now's the right time for this one. And exactly. so I always had that. And that one went in. This newest story that I'm working on that we're just starting to do our writer's room on that's going to have to do with uh, some modern technology called the deep fake technology. Are you familiar with deep fakes? Yeah, yeah that's deep fakes. So scary. So scary and fascinating to me that we could convince somebody of something that's completely not true just by seeing it online and or, you know, on any screen. In fact, I'm not really talking to TJ right now. This is right. This is this is an actor, and this is my face that's been digitally <laughs> implanted. Right, I'm oh, off somewhere be, on a beach. That'll be a fun book to write. Yes, I hope so. Yeah, I think it. it yeah, we'll see. It's so early. Very, yeah. very inchoate. Well, I, I, I think that, um, I think that that you're really onto something, not only with Shannon as a really authentic character who um, is towing the towing this balance being between being influenced by her past and 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 being this professional that she is, you know, et cetera, and doing it so well. But you've also got these ideas that are interesting. I love that like with the one with the, um, you know, in the ice storm in the convenience store, 
it's not her personal life that's driving it. But yet it is not just I walked into the office today and they handed me a case, you know, right. and that I think that spontaneity of things happening, um, that's going to be a fun one to read. I look forward to that. Thank, Thank you. you for writing that book, TJ. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, those of you out there, the series is Shannon Ames. The writer is T.K. Breerton. And you can pick them up and let me know what you think about them. Or let me know. Sign of Evil is number three. We're looking for, oh, nice. Mercy, is that number two? And yes. The Darkness, number one. Nice covers, by the way. Um, we're looking for number four, July 4th. And the name of that one is? Nowhere to Hide. Nowhere to Hide. So you guys go check it out. And in the meantime, get out to the website, PamelaFaganHutchins.com. You can look for the shows I've got booked for the next couple of months. Read ahead on those books so that we can talk about them. And while you're there, it won't hurt my feelings if you pick up one of mine. Right now, I'm working on number six, Impact. Plant number five came out this spring. So Snaggletooth is the one to grab. TJ, thank you so much for being on the show and for dealing with me who today brought my personal life in and was a hot mess. And that doesn't always happen. <laughs> that's great. I think that's a great icebreaker to have coffee spill all over the place. We should do that with every guest from now on. Set some right at ease. <laughs> You're like, I can't do anything as dumb as her. This is awesome. <laughs> you guys have a great week out there. We'll see you next time. Thank you.